So we're in week two of our series, and uh, thinking about relationships, it's interesting to me how so often in a dating relationship, primarily opposites attract, and everyone says that, you know, you show of hands, any extroverts in the room, extroverts, where's the hands, don't be shy, come on, you're an extrovert, we started off, thought we'd be strong with the extroverts, how about introverts? No one's looking, every head bowed, eyes closed, introverts, where's your hands? Try to help you out. All right, all right, how about those that like to save? Where are the savers? Show your hands, savers. It's okay, maybe your hands are still in your pockets, clenching to your wallet, savers. How about those that love to spend? Spenders, yes, my people, spenders. All the savers, just direct the spenders to the black boxes in the app, be great. Um, you think about in a dating relationship, it's kind of cute, you know, opposites attract, and then you get married, and then opposites attack. I didn't know that. Like, they didn't warn me for that. Um, it was kind of those cute little things, and all of a sudden, socks on the floor, the way that dishes are done, are a big deal. Like, those are huge. So, um, we're looking at healing hearts, strengthening homes. Interestingly enough, when you, when you open Scripture... There's a ton, starting in Genesis, about relationships, about the need for a relationship to be restored vertically before you look at the strength of the home horizontally. So our hearts have to be healed. And it's, it's amazing when you think about how simple Scripture is, but, but Satan's done a great work at deceiving and distracting us. So I want to help us understand the simplicity of the gospel. Every time a, an author writes the gospel, he's, he's acknowledging the barrier of sin. He's saying, you have no hope. You're done. But God is good, and he's powerful and strong, and he loves you, and he's come to remove the barrier. Ouch, that hurt. Pinched my finger. It's okay, no blood. <laughs> Thankfully, Jesus' blood is what cleansed us from our sin. Thankfully, Jesus came, and all of Scripture was saying, he's coming, he's coming. Look, wait, be patient. And everyone was like, I'm done. I, that nation has cool kings. They have prettier women. They have more powerful chariots. Look at that horse. Like that, that was the same thing that we're struggling with. And then their marriages, their homes crumbled. They weren't strong. And so we see the reality is that all couples will end up fighting. The, ch the challenge and tension is that healthy couples fight clean and unhealthy fight dirty. And so when we look at 1 Peter, Jesus never said, hey, Peter, come and be my disciple, but ditch your wife. No, Peter oftentimes brought his wife along, and especially after Jesus' resurrection, they did ministry together. And Peter's wife died first as a martyr, and then Peter died. And his words to her were, remember once again our Lord Jesus that you're suffering for, that you're dying for. And we see that Peter's giving us some healthy marriage advice here as he first starts off talking about the gospel in the first two chapters. And chapter two ends in verse 24 saying, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. In verse 25, you are straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 
So first, he's like, hey, in order to have a healthy couple who's going to have healthy communication and fight for the unity of the marriage, you need to first realize you are like sheep running away, and the good shepherds come to gather you to the fold. He's died in your place to make you whole. So the gospel is essential. As, as we look at couples and the need, as he j- dives in, in in chapter three, where we're going to be, we see the need for wives and husbands to acknowledge the two barriers of communication in order to have right communication with God and each other. This guy, John Gottman, studied marriages for 16 years. And all it took for him to observe a couple fighting was all of five minutes, and he could tell with 91% accuracy if they'd end in divorce, if that relationship would dissolve within five minutes. It wasn't that... They were fighting, it's not if they fight, but how they fight. There's a, a mentors that my wife and I had for years, they, they claimed that they never fought. And we didn't fathom the reality they could be lying to us. Until we started dating and we we're like, wait a minute, how does that work? Because like, there's little things that become big things and we have to have this conversation that turns into a fight. Like what, how do they never, and then years later, all the stuff they're putting on a shelf saying they never fought, well, that shelf broke. And then the fight of all fights, and then they're like, okay, we need to fight. It's healthier that way. Yes. It's not if you fight. It's how. And they were believing the lie that you, you should never fight. It's not to never fight. It's, it's how you fight. As we flipped the triangle upside down and realized it's not about working hard to get to God as the husband and the wife try and draw closer to God to outdo one another. Really, it's outdoing one another with service and love in that covenant marriage relationship that we talked about last week was God's design, a man and a woman in a covenant relationship that he created for them, for their blessing, for his glory. We see in Proverbs, the author speaks about the need for a husband to not have a quarrelsome wife. He says, a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. It's just annoying and, and constant, and you can't escape it. Maybe the, another one would be helpful. It is better to have severe hemorrhoids than to live with a husband who's a jerk. Second, Brandon, 812. <laughs> I, I found, I tried. Uh, oftentimes in Scripture, it's all about the women, so I try to help you out, women. Don't be married to a jerk. It's, it's be better if you just had hemorrhoids than to live with a jerk. Like, that's the reversal, and it's the reality, is guys are jerks. And it would be way better to not have a jerk of a husband. That's why the definition of a disciple is a humble servant, fully devoted to following Jesus. Because there's going to be tension, there's going to be quarrels, there's going to be fights, but are you going to put those away? Are you going to humbly submit to Jesus and say, you know what, I was wrong, I'm sorry I hurt you, let's, let's remove the barrier. And the two barriers we're looking at, the two barriers are Ignorance and dishonor. We see that the reality of our our conversations and our communication is not what we say. In fact, what we say is is only 7% of our communication. 58% of the total message is is our nonverbal. See, the tone of voice makes up 35% of the message, And the actual words you say is only 7%. So you see the 
The 58% is, is your smile, your shrug, your frown, your glare. The 35% is your tone of voice, making up 93%. And then only 7% is the actual words. George Bernard Shaw said, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. I think that's helpful for us guys to get that out there. So when our wives communicate to us, that's the biggest illusion. That communication, the information has actually transferred from one mind to the other and been understood. And it's helpful because when, when, you, real, when, when you have kids, you realize, oh, it's not just me. Like, this is a human problem we all share. You're like, hey, clean your room. And then just walk outside to play. It's like, did you not hear me? What ha-? Like, I thought that was clear. You nodded and said, okay, I'll clean my room. And you proceeded to go out and ride your skateboard. Like, I don't understand. And then I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, now I know what it's like to be married to me. That's helpful. Thanks, Lord. So, so when we think about this chapter, it's hard. There's some things that culturally don't, don't line up and aren't going to be easily listened to. And that's why we go back to the gospel. The gospel is never going to be accepted culturally, politically, because the gospel's not for that. The gospel's for the creator to be redeeming the creation to himself outside of, and yet God uses, ordained, and planned for, for the other relationships, but only in his order. And we, when we see that's outside of God's order, there's problems. When we see God's relational plan being used outside of his order, there's problems. So we see God's personal relationship with us accomplished and available only through Jesus. The need for us to know that we're disciples, a humble servant committed to following, fully devoted to following Jesus. We're looking at how as disciples we're growing in that relationship with Christ, acknowledging the the family dynamic. And the backdrop of first as we look at Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, talking about our need for God's plan of salvation, Jesus accomplishing it, and the Spirit sealing us as we believe we abide with Christ. And then outside of that, the other three spheres that Ephesians breaks down into is the church sphere, the, the workplace, and the home. So we're looking at really the home in this series, and then that's in the backdrop of spiritual warfare. So it's no, it's no coincidence, I was telling some people, and my wife was like, hey, I didn't really think this through, we've been so busy, but some of the challenges maybe we've had has been some spiritual attack, knowing I'm going to talk about communication. It's awesome. Like, thanks, Lord, I love my job. Every time we talk about something, it's like, oh, that's what we're working on, and I'm not the best at. So humbly confessing the reality, most times it's like, hey, the best way to learn something is to teach it. Now I understand why you've called me to this role. I have work to do in this area. But it's super helpful to think through the reality of God planning our marriage, the need for communication to be clear, intimacy in the, in the home, finances and parenting. Those are major issues that lead to divorce if not acknowledged. The first and foremost being communication problems. Number one reason couples split up 65% of couples cite communication problems. They just didn't want to deal with it anymore. They're done. So as we look at this passage this morning, there's clear that there needs to be two roadblocks cleared that allow our communication with God to be open and then to help every couple communicate. As we see, the goal really is for, for the husband in the end of verse 7 that your prayers may not be hindered. This is a big deal. God's going to not listen to your prayers, guys, if you're a jerk to your wife. 
So while I kind of transliterated that in my own verse, like that's the bottom line. If you're a jerk to your wife, God's done listening to your prayers until you make amends, until you ask for forgiveness, and you're, because the two shall become one flesh. So if you just rip half the flesh off, God's like, what are you doing to my bride? Like, that's my daughter. What are you doing to her? Get back in union. Be reconciled. Now I'll, I'll listen to you. So we see there's the first roadblock is ignorance. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. To understand is from the Greek word gnosko, properly to know, especially through personal experience. This, this Greek word gnosko is to know. So the first roadblock is actually the opposite of ignorance, is to get to know your, your wife. And so we see in verse 7, that husbands should live with their wives in an understanding way, in a gnosko, to know them, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. That's the second roadblock. So looking first at the first roadblock, ignorance. His part, James 1, 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. And the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think it's interesting when we look at the, the, the goal for the men is to understand or know his wife. When you're ignorant, especially guys, like you, that's not a good feeling to, to be ignorant about something. There, it tends to be you're flustered, frustrated, or if we're honest, we just say we're angry. And, and if your spouse, if your wife is showing you up because she knows stuff, usually we're not like, oh, I'm really glad you know more than me about this, right? That's not usually our posture. Like when we're driving and we don't know where we're going and your wife's like, hey, turn, no, I know, I'm gonna turn right just to spite you. It's like there's a field, right? Nope, I'm, ah. It's interesting how scripture just reads us so well. Just don't say anything. Just listen and learn. Like, a, like an ethnographer who's studying culture, being immersed in it, study your wife. So, Guys, the, the job, the role here is to be a student of your wife. Be curious. Ask open-ended questions. Pay attention to what she says and what she does. And then remember what you learned. My wife's learned this, so sometimes she'll drop hints that are more exaggerated now. She's like, hey, this water bottle. Like, next water bottle, this could be a good water bottle. And, and there's times where I've... <clears throat> You know, went to order <clears throat> sushi or something, and hey, what roll do you want? You know, this one or this one, or you just want raw fish? And she looks at me like, I'm not. Teriyaki bowl. Cook the chicken first, throw it in some rice, we'll be good. That's what she wants. So I've learned. And you got to pick up on the hints, remember, write it down, be a student. And then her part of the barrier that exists in communication, her part is First Peter 3, one. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Interestingly, the last part of that, verses 3 through 5, really talk about old school, Sarah submitting to Abraham, calling him Lord. So don't, don't get hung up on that. I'm not going to dive into that. There's not an action item Hey, this week, make sure you refer to your husband as Lord. That's not, um, just want to be clear. You're like, what in the world? But Sarah obeyed Abraham. If you go back and read that story, Abraham was not the easiest to obey. Twice, he's like, hey, just kind of, it's better for me. I mean, you, it's better for us. I mean, me, like, we might die. 
Because if the king thinks we're together, husband and wife, he's going to kill me and take you. So he's not the easiest to submit to. I acknowledge that when we talk about marriage and, and communication, uh, it takes two. In some marriages, you guys have been in it for the long haul, and it's not been easy. And others are like, I'm supposed to, su-. no, I'm not doing that. Well, here, Peter doesn't let you off the hook. He gives you the ultimate challenging marriage and says, look, she submitted and called him Lord. It's not because it's happy. It's because it makes you holy. Our culture says, hey, marriage is going to be this fun thing. It's going to be happy. And when it's not happy, then leave. But through scripture, we see time and time again, God uses that, the image of marriage to say, look, it's, it's your holiness that's at stake. Interestingly, Proverbs 31 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Interestingly here, Peter's writing saying basically it's not the outside appearance. It's not your social media pictures. It's, it's what's in your heart. The women of old didn't adorn their physical, didn't post this or do this or allure. It was very quiet serving and that was the complete opposite of culture, like it is today. And when you hear about wives be subject to your own husbands, and you see, you know, I'll never forget when, when I was young and, and friends were young and they're, you know, going to Vegas for the weekends. And it's like, where's your wife? Oh, she's in Vegas with friends. Uh, what? Do you know what? She, like, what are they? I, I don't know what they do there, I've ne- but I, could, I know kind of I've heard things that people do there. And there's like on a cruise with swinger cruise. It's like, that's what you're doing? Like open relationship. That's what the world's saying. And Peter's saying, no, wives subject to your husbands. Like it's hard. It's not always easy, but you're, you're to be one. And are you honoring your, your husband in that? And communication, not just respectfully being present, but pure in conduct. Help your husband succeed. So cooperate when they attempt, the key word here is when when your husband attempts to communicate to you, have reasonable expectations, okay? I never forget, like, my son would come home and my wife's like, hey, how was school? And my girls just give us the whole download of everybody and all the drama and relational stuff. And Micah just looks at us and shrugs his shoulders and walks away. Not a word. I'm like, yeah, sounds like a good day. And Jenna's like, what? What happened? What'd you do? Who are you playing with? What's friend you and I'm like, hey, he said a ton. The shrug, do you see? He had this kind of a smile. Like there was, he had a great day. Class was smooth. There's no drama on the playground. You got all that from the, yeah, just as a boy, you know. So wives, same thing. Like when your husband say two words, it's huge, groundbreaking. Like I'm sorry. Whoa, write it down. Like mark it. Hey, I've been praying for this. He said two words, but remember, guys. 93% is your, your tone and body language. So all, if you say I'm sorry at the right way, the right posture, they're going to receive it better. Resist one-liners or witty comebacks. Really, that's all you got? Two, two words? Come on. You got to feel this more. Is this? No, don't bring shame and disrespect and hurtful. It just adds to the roadblock. So for both men and women, we have to stop and listen carefully. As James says in 119, everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You know, there's a, a guy I was reading about, and he, he said, when I was studying to be the psychologist, I was trained by the best of the best at listening. I was really at the top of my class as a listener, and I came home, my wife was going off on all this stuff in the kitchen. I was in this text conversation, and she was like, you're not even listening to me. 
And, I res- and he said, I responded, what are you talking about? I'm, I've been trained by the best listeners in the nation. I'm ready at the top of my class. I am listening to you. And she's like, well, then what did I say? He's like, I just don't care. And that, that ha- uh, yeah, that's happened before, right? Like, if you're honest, physically you're there, you're listening, but you just don't care to engage. Let me help you out a little bit. It says in uh, Proverbs 18.2, a fool finds no pleasure in understanding. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding and caring about what people are sharing with you, but delights in airing his own opinions, Proverbs 18.2. That's where most guys are. We don't really care. And we're fools because we don't care about what's either bothering our wives, weighing our wives down, making them anxious. We're not listening because women, you need to understand Guys have a challenge. Our brains are like boxes, like a waffle. And there's a nothing box. And so in that moment, the psychologist was in the nothing box. He didn't care about anything. He didn't want to be bothered by anything. And nothing should go in that box. That's why it's the nothing box. And so when you're in that spot, it's so hard to get out. It's like, finally, I found my nothing box. I've been dealing with work and family and friends. And you finally get in there and you can just breathe for a minute. But women are like, it's been said they're like spaghetti, which I think, more accurately put, for those who fished before, it's like a spool of just like a spider web or a bird's nest of fishing line. Because when they say, hey, here, and they bring up an issue, guys are like problem solvers. Like, okay, I'm out of my nothing box. That was a lot of work. I'm listening. I care. Let's fix it. And as guys, you're like, I know. I can see the string. If you just pull on this, it'll untangle. And women are like, whoa, whoa, I didn't ask you to touch. This is my nest. Like, I know where everything goes. Everything's connected. Don't pull on that. That's going to hurt this. Or this is connected, and this won't work because of this. And we have no clue. All we see is the one thing you brought to us that are like, hey, there's a knot here. Can you? We're like, yeah, I'll untie that real quick. They're like, you can't. No, that doesn't work. Everything will come unraveled. So as guys and gals, as husbands and wives, the barrier, once you understand that, is to be patient with one another. And we see it says, finally, all of you in verse eight, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Don't repay evil for evil. In general, but especially between a husband and a wife. A key pro tip I received and and, and pull out often is is in a conversation or argument is I understand why you feel this way. Once you get out of the nothing box, you get into the caring box, and you hear, it's like, hey, I understand why this is making you anxious. I understand why this is weighing you down. I understand why I didn't communicate as clearly, or I understand this happened. Is that what you're communicating? To clarify and repeat it back. And another, so the two things that are worth the price of admission, if you don't hear anything else, especially for the guys, Proverbs 21, 23, you should memorize this this week, watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut you'll stay out of trouble. That's it. Like that, I've read that and I was like, you know what? Either I'm praying or I'm sinning. So I should probably just keep my mouth shut and pray. And the moment I open my mouth, I've gotten into a lot of trouble. That's why, those are wise words. You can't deny that. Keep your mouth shut and you stay out of trouble. We're in a spot right now with our kids that our, our son loves to open his mouth when my daughters are in a, a very heated discussion. It never works. And I'm like, yep, that I've, okay. Hey, let me give you some words of wisdom. I've had to learn this the hard way. This will save you a lot of pain. The two questions you should ask 
Should it be said, and should it be said now? Should it be said at all? And if it should, should it be said now? Those are two things. Write them down. Should I say something, and should I say it now? Because some things are better to discuss not at one in the morning when you're in a couple hours of a conversation. Some things are better to discuss when the conflict is low. And as we kind of move into the second roadblock of, after we've looked at the roadblock of ignorance, the second roadblock is dishonor. So thinking about dishonor, maybe you could write down, what are the three ways I'm a blessing? And what are the three ways I can be a blessing? As a conversation starter of, okay, I'm trying to observe you, I'm trying to learn, and now moving through that roadblock of ignorance, I hit the roadblock of dishonor. How might I honor you? How can I bless you? In what ways have I dishonored you or or the things I do that really don't bless you that I can stop doing? We see this this Greek word of of honor is teme, valuing something that's very costly. We see his part in that clearly in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Being mindful that your wife is God's daughter, appreciating the price that was paid for her, treating her as God's prized possession consistently. It's interesting when you think back and it's like, why am I so frustrated? Why is she you know, not seeing this from my point of view? And it's like, oh, well, she's God's daughter that he died for and loves and, and I'm to cherish as well. And that's her part is 1 Peter 3, 4, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So ask God for, for, for help to forgive your husband from his past mistakes. Again, help him when he's trying to honor you and give realistic expectations. And really the goal is to pursue the inner beauty that God desires for you. The temptation is for you to just follow the ways of the world. Look like the world, show off like the world wants the world to have you show off. But really, how's your heart? And how are you modeling that for your kids? And again, the church, every time I read this, there's, it's not lost on me. The simple outline of every New Testament epistle is the gospel, family, and world. Like, you're in sin, you need Jesus. Now that we know the gospel, how does this impact your family? How does it impact the world? And there's a spiritual war happening. It's not just flesh and blood. Our enemy is Satan and, and the demonic powers. So knowing that these thoughts that we have and these desires, they're, they're number one, our flesh, but they're also instigated from the world. And it's we need to be made right with God first so that we can have a right relationship with our spouse and our kids to have a strong home, to impact and build a strong community. So the four signs that you aren't fighting fair, whether it's socks that were on the floor, the dishes were done wrong, the four things to not do is criticizing, whether you're complaining, you didn't get gas, or you forgot this, I gave you a list list of things to get at the grocery store, don't criticize, don't have contempt, which really is sarcasm or disgust, don't be defensive. It's, it's not me, it's you. It's all your fault. Or stonewalling, which 85% of the time it's men, right? We're like, I don't know all the things you said. I can't put it into order. I don't know, so I'm just going to retreat. I'm just going to stonewall, stay silent, and I'm going to retreat. The point is to not fight against each other, but to fight against that true enemy, Satan, and to fight for your marriage. 
And Paul tells us in Romans 12 too, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by doing good. And the promise is that with Christ, all things are possible. With Christ, any marriage can be healed. And with Christ, your marriage can be healed. God's faithful to do his part in the discipleship process. Are we faithful to do ours? And is our spouse faithful to do theirs? Those are the two questions. Because if, if you're faithful to do your part, God's faithful to do his part, but your spouse is not willing, God's not going to make him or her. And so it brings it back to the beginning of, okay, what are we supposed to do? How do we do this? Because the last part says that your prayers may not be hindered. It's all about prayer. It's all about the fact there's two hindrances, whether it's ignorance or dishonor, in your marriage that are keeping your husband's prayers from being heard. That's a huge problem. Because Jesus said, my house should be a house of prayer. We're supposed to worship in spirit and truth. We're supposed to be in communion with God. And if God's not going to listen to prayers, as it says in verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The, the point is to, to cause us pause and say, okay, God's willing to save and redeem and restore our marriage no matter what has occurred. Am I willing to humble myself and do the work? Am I willing to serve and, and acknowledge that God planned this covenant for the better of that person, regardless of how they've treated me? And I'm going to stick with the covenant promise. And we see, and verse 8 tells us, having unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Not repaying evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. This bless practice we've been talking about, if you've been with us for a few weeks Hopefully you remember, or if you're like Justin, you forgot by Wednesday, so you need to join a life group. They'll remind, they'll remind you. The first thing of bless is begin with prayer. The second is listen. The third is to eat and share a meal with someone. The fourth is to serve. Have them serve you, have you served them. And then the last thing is, is share the gospel. And so I'm not going to expect all of us to do all five, but the number one, let's start with begin in prayer. Let's go back as, as husbands and wives. Let's, let's say, okay, this week, let's pray, commit to praying together every day. And if you miss a day, it's okay. Just don't miss two. Then it's going to go really bad for you. Okay, so let's begin with prayer. If you've never done this before, husbands, accept the words from Peter to initiate prayer with your wife. Even, this is, even if this is embarrassing or awkward because maybe you haven't been as consistent or you've never done it before and it's like, this is going to be weird, like... Maybe Brandon can text me a prayer. No, I'm not going to do that. You, you got this. Just speak from your heart. And, and to give you another tip, don't wait until everything's comfortable. It's the right time. You don't have to light candles. You, you just, in the spite of tension, if there's an argument, hey, let's pause and let's pray. It's super awkward. Like, it's super weird because normally you're not like, perfect. We're at the height of this argument. I'm just going to tell you to pause. Let's go pray. We'll revene. Like, that's not normally... Your buddies at work aren't like, dude, I was in this crazy fight with my wife last night, and then we prayed, and it was better. No one talks like that. But we should be demonstrating, hey, the power of prayer in my marriage. We were in this tough spot. We prayed. God showed up and fixed it. I don't know how to explain it, but man, we prayed. The power of prayer. Families are constantly on the move is the second reality. So number one, guys, initiate the prayer. Even if it's awkward, if you've never done it, just start. Second thing, families, we're on the move. 
You're going every which way. All of a sudden, it's 10.30, and you're like, bedtime was at 7. What happened? I don't, where did, is my wallet somewhere? Shoot, I should have bought an AirTag. I could have tracked that. Like, we're exhausted. The moment you sit down, it lights out. So, so before you sit down, let's just stand and pray. Or the moment, it's like, hey, we're going to take a minute, and we're going to give our, our day to the Lord. We're going to thank him for what he did, ask him for help. But really, the, the third point is acknowledging him. If you don't know what to pray. So you guys initiated. It's awkward. It's weird. You said, hey, we're praying. Secondly, hey, we missed today. Let's not miss two. Now we're going to do it. But what are we supposed to pray? How do we pray? Grab a verse. Open the Psalms. Open the Proverbs. And go, okay, Lord, you are, there's wisdom in Proverbs. There's God's character is clearly in the Psalms. And, and just pray that. God, we thank you for your everlasting love. We thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. Still trying to wait on some better mercies, but thank you for the ones I have. Maybe, I don't know, you could, you could be a little rough. Just be honest and, and pray. Thank you for his power, his grace, his everlasting love. Making these acknowledgements of his character, and then secondly, make your requests. Say, hey God, we, we need this. Our marriage is hurting. Our, our marriage, it doesn't seem like there's hope. Hey, God, we, we thank you for our marriage. We've, we've come through it. Our kids need it. I don't know what to do with my son. I don't know what to do with my daughter. Hey, our kid's on the way. We pray for a, a healthy pregnancy. Those requests come second after you acknowledge him. Begin in prayer. And before we close out today, maybe some of you are like, cool, wise words on marriage. I'm single. Or cool, my marriage is, there's, it's so dark and bleak, there's no hope. What other area of your life can you just hit pause on? You're like, I don't want to go to work anymore. Cool, don't go to work. You can't eat. That's not going to work out well for you. You know, I don't really want to pay taxes anymore. Okay, don't. That won't work out well for you. I'm tired of having all these responsibilities with kids and taking care of them. I just want to walk out. You can't just stop. You can't just put your responsibilities on hold. When you just leave as a parent, there's lasting effects. You've made a covenant promise to seek the better, to serve and bless the spouse regardless of how they're treating you. So as we close, let's be reminded that it's Christ who came to restore and repair that relationship by suffering and giving his life as a sacrifice. And so as we think about that today and we think about the, the relationships this, this is not a contract agreement it's a covenant promise and we think about the barriers of either ignorance or dishonor that, that can only be removed when we come to Jesus and say you know what I've I've sinned but you did the work as loud and as crazy and as messed up as my life was you, you have a plan you have a purpose to get the glory when seeking my good, and it costs you everything to serve me. And when we think about the gospel, and we preach the gospel to ourselves every day, all of a sudden we get in a fight or we have a hard conversation with a spouse, and we're rightly positioned as Christ has called the husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church, and the wife to submit to her husband. It's like, oh, I'll submit to you because all you've been doing is serving me, caring for me, providing for me, protecting me, but the world told me I shouldn't because you're just a jerk. 
yeah, you have to self-preservation, but if, if your husband's like Christ, serving you, sacrificing, giving, humbly coming to you saying, hey, I blew it, but Jesus forgave me, can you forgive me? I don't wanna do this anymore. It's different. We're called to be different. And that's going against culture. It's going against everything because the gospel calls us to give God everything. And when we do that as believers, now is the hard work where the Holy Spirit's gonna reveal in your life how the testimony you're gonna have for your kids. Whether you're married or divorced, how are you gonna grow? How are you gonna move into what God's planned for you? And then tell your, your kids, hey, I, I once was this, and then Jesus got a hold of my heart, and now look at what he's made me into. And look at the testimony you have. That's the wonderful thing about this message as it closes is God's not done with you. I can't wait to hear the testimonies of how God's gonna redeem and restore the marriages that are about to end. Or, or the person that you're, you're gonna be made into as God redeems and restores your story through removing these, these barriers of communication with him and then a spouse or a friend. And so as we come to the end, it's if you're in sin, there's no hope for you. Like you don't have to do anything because you can keep sinning and keep being selfish and keep hurting people. That's what you've always done and it's not gonna go any better than it has. The gospel is the good news that Jesus wants to transform your life, take everything that's messed up and set it right. Take all the hurt and heal it and the brokenness and restore it. And that's why we read at the beginning, it's by his wounds we're healed. So as we close in prayer, the invitation is for you to believe and be saved. For those who have believed and are saved, that we would grow in that love that God has for us and love our spouse and be an example for those around us that God's love can flow through us to them. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for another reminder that you came to save. Not just that we'd end up in heaven, but that our marriages would be strong and would be healthy. Lord, while we know it's not free from attack and division from the enemy, Lord, we pray that we'd have eyes to see the, as your word, and Song of Solomon calls it foxes that get in the vineyard. Those little things that just get in and kind of become issues that turn into fights and division. We pray for unity. We pray against the attacks of the enemy. Here and now, we pray for clarity of mind that those who know they need to believe in you for salvation would. Those that are separated from you, God, you draw them close. And they'd be saved as they believe and turn from sin and receive that payment to make them one with you again. And Lord, that love that's flowing to them would flow through them to others around them. God, we pray as we open our eyes and ask you to reveal what's in our heart. Is there a way that we can be a better blessing to our spouse that you'd reveal that to us? Is there a communication barriers, whether it's ignorance or dishonor that we need to remove today and allow the gospel to truly heal our hearts and strengthen our homes? In Jesus' name, amen.